the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. We are glad that you're joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. A little hot out there, but we're glad that you're joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Crazy amount of conversations been going on on there with uh, some heavy topics, also some fun topics like, uh, is the Princess Bride a rom-com from the other day? And uh, John back there, by the way, uh, that is getting a lot of affirmative right there. A lot of affirmative on the uh, rom-com-ness. I was surprised to see that multiple people said adventure comedy. I, yeah. was, like, I think they made that up. Well, they must have saw it and was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. And yeah. That could be a genre now. And my, wi- my wife never comments on anything, but she commented on that one because it's like her favorite movie ever. It's, it's a fantastic yeah. film. Yeah, so really that is. you can find that at Facebook. You can weigh in on a bunch of things going on there. Again, that's at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, and you can text us, 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG, followed by your comment. Well, for the first time since January, uh, no Ian Simpkins today. He, uh, Ian has not missed a show since the birth of his child some six months ago. I joked with him that I've had uh, like three vacations since then. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to fly this ship solo today. So I have brought in uh, not just a good guy, not just a regular listener, uh, but my coworker, the other pastor at my church, Scott Murray. Scott, how are you, my man? I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. This is, this is a little surreal. You yeah, it's kind of weird. When I hired you like a month ago, I don't think you were like... Yeah, with that's going to be radio fill-in. <laughs> you know, actually, down down deep secret, it was my my full intention to be on the show. That's what yeah. you figured. If you worked at the church full time, uh, you it, might get on here a couple a full times. On takeover, it's a takeover. <laughs> and uh, your wife, Katie, a, an yeah. early and yeah. early and often listener of the Common that's Good. Right. That's why you got hired. So there, there is a funny story about that. I would like to hear it. Well, when when I was told that we were going to have breakfast to meet for the first time. Right. Um, she goes, who are Which you is having? Weird. That breakfast is a little bit like an arranged date. Cause it somebody called of, me, Kelly yeah. Brady, who's helped run the show with yeah. us before said, here's a guy you need to meet. And right. I'm like, well, this is a little odd, but right. it went well. The yeah. eggs were good. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your favorite spot. Yes. And, um, my wife goes, wait, you're having, you're having breakfast with Brian Fromm. I'm like, yeah. She goes, He's a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brian, you're a celebrity. Her bar for celebrity is dangerously low. It it is. And and now, yeah. And now that I've been. And now we know each other, and she's like, oh, Oh, I get it. I get it. So, anyway, I've told you, many of you before, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church uh, in Darien, Illinois. And uh, I started the church with a guy, and after nine and a half years, his name was Dave Schubert. Is Dave Schubert? Dave moved down to Tennessee. 
Uh, and it was a big deal to have to replace him and uh-huh. uh, did some searching. And Scott is the guy. Yeah. He's now our associate pastor. I think we're having fun so far. It seems to be going well yes, so far. We, this week, we're in the middle of our VBS week, yes, which seriously. is a lot of fun. And I've been there from the beginning. Yeah, and you've, you've only picked up, you've only forgotten to pick up my laundry like once. Just one time. And yeah. a couple of times. You bought my Starbucks today. That's, like you're learning. That's what associate <laughs> pastors do, I think. You yeah. are yeah, learning. Right. Well, when we have uh, men and women in here, we often ask them to introduce themselves. So tell us a little bit about yourself, yeah. family, where do you live, where did you come from? Yeah. Uh, but then I would love to hear also, and I'll just interject questions to you, but I would love to hear uh, how'd you end up in ministry? You've been yeah. in ministry for a while. Uh, how did you end up, uh, what's the journey that eventually landed you sure. at Four Corners there? Well, it was a cold night, May 4th. No, we don't want to go when I was born. Which people don't, people, this is how weird it is. This I hired is Scott and after I hired him, we learned we have the exact same birthday. Yes. Uh, you're older. But I'm Three older. years older than yeah. me, but I think it's three, but. It's four. Same birthday, which is great. <laughs> Makes it easy for yeah, us. Yeah, it does. Um, so yeah, um, you know, lived in California, lived most of my life in Arizona, about 2008, we moved to Illinois to um, work at a church in West Chicago, Wheaton area. Um, my wife and I, we've been married 20 years this August, and we have four amazing kids from 16, 13, 10, and 8, I think. <laughs> I get it wrong all the I time know. on my own. And, yeah, and, and um, so we, we um, got into ministry when I was young, right out of Bible college, and my wife and I started, and been doing ministry ever since started as a youth pastor and um, actually moved to Illinois as a junior high pastor in a, in a church in the area. And uh, after that, after seven years of doing that, became the young adult pastor and then worked with small groups and um, it was time for a change yeah. and, and you and I got to meet. So, so, so let's go back to yeah. the concept of a junior high pastor. Yeah. That is a, oh, it's awesome. That, that is where my, I started as a part-time junior high director and yeah. then I was a youth pastor. So you and I both have youth ministry in our background. Uh, I would guess 90% of the people listening are going, the, uh, you couldn't pay me enough to be a junior high yeah, pastor. They so still like, didn't pay me enough. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't yeah. pay me enough to devote my life to junior high right. uh, students. So what'd you love about it? Why'd you do it? Okay. So I, I, I've always said this. Um, junior hires are like puppies. Um, mm. High schoolers are like um, cats. And cats, you know, they don't just jump all over you and say, hey, welcome home. We love you. Um, like a dog would or a puppy would. And so they have to you have to earn their trust with a junior hire. They love everything you do. Um, and they think that what you're doing is the best thing. So when they're there, they're so happy. They're, they're excited to be there. They're, they're, um, they bring their friends and yeah. it's all excitement. And, and then in, in, in two years they go, you know, we had seventh and eighth grade. And so the turnover rate was hard to work with, but um, yeah. I love the, the soft hearts of a junior hire of a seventh and eighth yeah. grader. And they're just so willing and, and, I'm excited about whatever you're teaching, whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, they're annoying, but so, so am I. <laughs> so, are, so are adults. I must go, I, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, yeah. What I, That makes me think, what is the similarities between junior high students and then doing young adult ministry? Oh, man. Um, well, the, There's probably more similarities <laughs> than you'd think, right? Well, the, the major difference is junior hires get dropped off by their parents. Young adults may come. <laughs> they um, may come. But they're both flighty. And, uh, but so everyone is. Um, millennials, you know, the thing that I always tell a millennial is a millennial is not a four letter word. It's not a swear word. Yeah. And it's been, it's been talked about like, Oh, you're a millennial. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's a, a beautiful time for a, a person who's not, um, married, no kids, um, and just free to, 
to live for Jesus and find the joys in life and, and, and just run with it. And that's, that's what I got to do for many years at the other church. It was fun. You are, uh, you're describing our producer over there. Yeah. Yes, He's a neat, neat guy. <laughs> well, I, I really do appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. And this, I, this I like is to a, think I'm an outlier, but. Yeah, yeah. And this is a part of my takeover of your, yeah. your show. <laughs> He's our young adult ministry right That's now. Right. So there you go. We're going to start a new show. It's so. now at our church. You've yeah. gone from a, uh, a specialist to more of a generalist, right? Yeah. You, yeah. uh, you do, you and I, I, the, the joke is at a church our size, uh, yeah, we have our specific titles and our specific yeah. roles, but we both just kind of do everything. And we're learning yeah. that a little bit, what that everything. You also lead worship at our church. Yeah. All sorts of other things. I also dump the trash after VBS. <laughs> yes, you do. Which, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? So Not me. <laughs> I, I, I'm really, it's, it's a real enjoyable time. That's, Loving it. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here with us and don't fall asleep after VBS. I know I, I won't. most of those leaders are probably home napping right now. But that's right. Scott's going to be with us for the first hour. And uh, he referenced earlier that his last church uh, was a, uh, it, it, it's at least on the fringe of a mega church. Yeah. It, it was right there. Uh, and now we're more of a small, medium sized church. And I'm very interested about the differences because we yeah. talk on this show a lot about just those types of differences. So wondering uh, your uh, your experience there. We're going to talk about that next with Scott Murray coming up on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, usually joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out today with his family, hopefully having a good time, and uh, we are glad that you're joining us here on this, uh, what is it, it's pretty uh, It's pretty hot today. Yeah, it's hot, but pretty it's, hot it's on this nice. Thursday. It's air conditioned yeah. in here, though. It is nice in here. I'm going to do this just in case Ian's listening, because he gets bothered every time when I talk about the weather, so I'm going to do it every single segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's four clouds out of that window, I can see. <laughs> But we are glad you're joining us. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. Or you can podcast us at Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, and that other voice you heard is Scott Murray. Scott is my coworker at uh, Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Uh, Scott is... Uh, our associate pastor and uh, nice enough to join us. I don't know if you felt like you could say no, yeah. but, uh, but here he you was, are. He was in the contract. Here you are. And him yeah. and I are both, we're, we're holding off tonight because we have an elder dinner with uh, lots of barbecue tonight. Yeah. I'm very excited good for barbecue, this. barbecue, burnt so, ends and everything. So I'm very yeah, excited for this. Well, uh, before the break, we were talking about your kind of uh, journey in ministry uh, and you've been in small churches. We're yeah. kind of a medium sized right. church now, but from before us, you were at one of the bigger churches uh, in the Wheaton area, yeah. uh, a couple thousand people and uh, wondering, uh, we talk a lot, a lot about mega churches here, yeah. the James McDonald harvest stuff, the yeah. Willow stuff, but we also, Ian's from a big church. I'm from a much smaller church than that. Uh, now that you, your ministry experience is kind of across the board. I'm curious, uh, not which is better, which is worse. I'm more curious. What are the differences? Yeah. What are the main differences in working in the two types of churches. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in 2008, when we did move from a, a smaller church of like 200 something, um, I was given a, and I moved, I was given a junior high group of two grades that had 140 kids. Yeah. When you came to the big church. Right. Yeah. And so I'd say for the first two and a half, three years, I felt like I was working in Disneyland, you know, <laughs> the amount of resources that are in there, stuff to throw away were blowing my mind. There's so many things there at the big church. Um, and, and I liked working in a big church. Um, 
there was a hundred plus staff. Um, there was a lot of people to network with. Um, and there wasn't a day where you'd go, well, what am I going to do? Yeah. There was always something to do. Um, so now, you know, coming to four corners, um, I thought that there would be a big adjustment period or a time where I'm like, I, I don't know if this is for me, but mm-hmm. there's this amount of freedom and joy that I have working with a church where I know I've only been there six weeks and I have a good handle on who the church is, yeah. I think. And, um, I, I feel like I went from being an empl- an employee to a large corporation to a partner yeah. with, with you and the other staff like this, like here's the keys. This is your church. You are an owner. And, and you know, there's a difference, you know, if I were to say, what would I want to do one day? Like I would love to work in a coffee shop, but not like a Starbucks. I'd love mm-hmm. to own one. Yeah. Preferably on the beach in California, well, now you're right, you know, right there. But there's a sense of pride when, when it's, it's more of yours. Mm-hmm. And so I've really enjoyed it. Do you think it's a personality thing? Like are some personalities just better at the big church and some personalities? Uh, I worked at more, you know, Glenelg Bible Church. You're yep. very familiar with yep. it. That was eight, 900 people at the time or right? so. Which is big. Yeah. But but not like where you came from. And I remember, um, I, I think at some point now that we started Four Corners and it's, you know, we're a 300 person church. I think it feels like it fits my personality more sure. that I'm much more relational. I like yeah. to know everybody. Right. I like to shake everybody's hands. You do. And you do that every Sunday. I like to shake yeah. everybody's hands. I like to know who's there, who's not sure. there. I'm wondering what parts of your personality were drawn to the big church and fit well there. And what part of your personalities have you found of your personality? Have you found mesh more to the smaller deal? Yeah. Um, I, I think we all want to be people of influence. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a larger church, you have your, your area. I, I, I hate to call it silo because yeah. that's such a negative word, but you, there is a silo that you work in and that's your area. I enjoy being in all different areas. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't want to use the word utility, mm-hmm. but in a sense, I'm, I'm more of a utility person at Four Corners. Yeah. Um, and so I think I like to be involved where I'm needed. I'm the kind of guy who likes to be where I'm needed. Yep. And, and if I feel like... That's why that, you're here today. Yeah, <laughs> hey, can you, uh, we need you to fill in today. I did ask if, if you were going to like be, you know... Increasing my check for the yeah. year. Like, I uh, bought your Starbucks today. Yeah, and, and, and I got some common good swag. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, for my wife. Um, but no, I, I think the the personality, like, we like to know people and yeah. we're relational and it feels like our tank is full when we leave on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like, we got to talk to a lot of really cool people. Yeah. So, uh, again, like I said, Ian and I have had to talk a lot about Harvest and James yeah. McDonald stuff that's kind of coincided literally the news of James McDonald dropped on the day we started the show. So it's kind of been like that or the Willow stuff. Um, And so I do think, especially through the lenses of those things, the the mega church or the big church gets kind of a black eye. It does. I'm curious from your experience, what did you love about the big church? What are the benefits? Like the big church can do that. Right. And a church our size or even smaller can't do that. Sure. Um, There is a sense of, um, putting on the big event mm-hmm. and that's exciting. Um, you know, what's different about when we did a picnic, yep. um, you know, we are the ones that brought out the chairs yep. and the tables, you yep. know, you, you preached, I did worship. And then we went out and we set up for the picnic, yes. you know, um, when and then we cleaned it up, we cleaned it up. <laughs> when, when the reptile guy was there. Yes. Um, and the, the sense of, um, at a big church, there are 10 staff to do all that. Yep. And so that's kind of a neat thing. Yeah. 
But I, I also feel like you sort of lose touch with the people of the church if everyone is doing everything for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bigger churches can do bigger things, but then they also have um, bigger budgets that you have to meet. And mm-hmm. there's also a lot of, you know, I, I, I was getting tired of having meetings before we had meetings. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and I mean, meetings are good, yeah. but to have two meetings before we have a meeting, um, I got a little stale. Yep, yep. So. Now we just do that at Panera. Yeah. Uh, last one, wondering for your own journey. Yeah. Uh, what is, uh, and I know you saying you like to be a utility guy, so there's oh, no. there's a lot of different things. Yes. Here. Uh, just generally speaking, not at our church or the big church, just church in general, what is your favorite thing about ministry? What is the thing? Is it could be teaching, could be leading worship, could be just hanging out with people. What do you love? What is the number one or two things that you love to do about ministry? Well, when I, um, at the old church, I was a, a young adult. Mm-hmm. guy and um i really enjoyed shepherding people mm-hmm. so that's something that as a junior high pastor you didn't do too much shepherding of junior right. hires you know it was against all the rules and you know you wouldn't go pick them up and go have coffee with them right right um but you did have leaders that you would pour into but right. i really enjoyed shepherding um as far as like what i like to put my time in i love um writing messages i love it mm. um it's i i could spend hours doing it um, so that's one thing that I love doing, yeah. but I also really love, um, leading worship mm. and, and seeing the different teams. Like we have many people at four corners that want to lead worship and they're all different. And yeah. so that means that every week you have a different feel and a different vibe. And it's, it's incredible to be a part of that, whether I'm on stage or I'm at the soundboard or wherever I am that week. Um, it's a real enjoyable thing for me to do at the church so totally, far. Totally one of the things we backed into too. I wasn't trying to hire a worship guy yeah. or a pastor who could lead worship. And and then we talked and you were like, Oh, by the way, I'm like, okay, Brian, I'm Let's. telling you after our first breakfast, you know, I was, I always tell people, have you ever gone on a date with someone where you just knew <laughs> after the first <laughs> date? Um, and that that was the one. And I felt that. And so <laughs> in a sense, if you were to say, Hey, we want you to come and, and do this. And I didn't really want to, I still feel like I would do it. Cause people I feel like God wa- wanted us here. People are going to wonder if we're doing this show with a candle in between us right now. So. <laughs> no, an iced coffee. So I am going to coming up next. We are going to read, I'm going to uh, shift gears and I'm going to read a tweet that I found uh, that I found. Uh, I really wrestled with last night. And so I have a radio show. I said, I'm going to let other people wrestle with it as well. That's what we're going to do next here. On the common good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to the common good on AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad you're joining us today. You can follow us on Facebook at the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show online at 1160hope.com. And you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast, whether it be Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else you can get it. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we are grateful for all of you that listen, not just on the radio on your drive home, but also the the many of you that we hear from uh, who podcast us. So we are grateful for that. Lots of good dialogue going on at Facebook, too. We would uh, love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'm joined again uh, for a couple more segments by Scott Murray. Scott um, is the associate pastor at the church that I lead at at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Uh, if you're looking for a church, we'd love to have you join us. But Scott is sitting in here because Ian is out today. And uh, we are glad that you're here, man. It's good to be Every here. Every time we go to commercial, yeah. I'm like, oh, he might run. No. OK, we're no, doing another one. No, we're I'm doing another here. one. So uh, perusing Twitter earlier <laughs> today and uh, there I tend to follow on Twitter uh, uh 
pastors or like Christianity Today, other things like that. And kind of my other element that I follow a lot of is uh, sports writers, teams, mm-hmm. all this kind of, it's kind of my two passions, right? Yeah. And so one of the guys, there's a sport sports writer that I follow. His name is Jeff Perlman. And Jeff Perlman wrote some of my favorite books, including... Uh, a book we referenced the other day called The Bad Guys One, which mm-hmm. is about literally my favorite team of my childhood, the 1986 New York Mets. Wow. Uh, it's his book that helped me see how deba- how much debauchery and sin was going on on that team. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he wrote one that created a big stir out here about Walter Payton called Sweetness, which he kind of pulled the curtain back and said, this is who Walter Payton was. Sure. So you can read it. And that's kind of his shtick, right? Okay. He writes about... Yeah. Uh, very in-depth about specific sports and sports figures. Uh, Jeff Perlman, as I've followed him on Twitter, is also uh, a proud atheist, and he will say some really uh, haunting things. He will talk about um, how death really scares him, but that he thinks that's why Christians have created everything they have, because they don't want to face the fear of death uh, and other things. And so that's all the background about a tweet that uh, and it was actually two tweets, but I want to read one of them. Jeff Perlman, uh, he he first in his tweet, uh, I don't know if it's a retweet or he just copy and pasted from a mega church in his area. He lives in California. Okay. And I want us to wrestle with this because you and I are both pastors. We've grown up in the church like we get it from an evangelical side. And so he copy and pasted from the local church's website. You could tell he's got an issue with them. And he copied this from their youth ministry website uh, of this mega church. And it says one of their values is evangelizing every high school. And underneath it, it says we go onto the high school campuses through Christian clubs and free lunches to spread the gospel. We proclaim the good news to our non-Christian friends so that they can be saved. I read that. I was like, Cool. Yeah. Sounds like what we did when I was a youth pastor. Sounds <laughs> sounds like good strategy. Sounds like a good thing for our kids to to do. Uh, Perlman, who's an atheist, wrote this. He said uh, about what he read here. He writes this. Our local megachurch announces this proudly on website. Meanwhile, my kids have to hear how they're damned to hell. <laughs> And when you read some of the comments underneath, it's like should not be allowed in the schools, uh, things like that. And man, when I read this, I was like, this is an interesting take from somebody who obviously doesn't believe any of this, sends his kids to the public school. And is just kind of like, what the heck? Right. Like, what are you doing? Is my kid a target? What are you going to say to him? Yeah. You're not a you're not an employee of the school. I haven't been asked. Really, I kind of wrestled with this when I read it because I could see his point. But at the same time. I can see why the church does this, right? They want to share the good news, as they call it, of the gospel. So as you read this tweet, once I showed it to you, right. uh, curious, just uh, before we dive into it, just uh, your yeah. initial thoughts about it. Well, you know, if, if you're against something, you're always going to find and look for things to hate about that thing, mm-hmm. right? Much like, you know, how you feel about your sports teams you don't like. I don't want to mention them. The Chicago um, Cubs. Yeah. Yep. You've got real issues there. You just lost two, you just lost two listeners. Um, and so, and a producer. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you look at the description, I, I don't know what church, first of all, would say this on their website. Um, if you're not a Christ follower, um, to hear the words like, we go to, you know, it sounds like almost like terrorism to those who don't believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. We go into high school campuses through Christian clubs and we spread the gospel. Yeah. yeah. It, sound, it sounds like a disease almost like yeah. what are they spreading? And, mm. and so that our non-Christian friends can be saved for, from what? Right. Right. And so I, I can see why this might be troublesome 
at, at the same time, I don't disagree with what this mega church wants to do. Right. Uh, so how would you answer it if you were leading this church? I totally get what you're saying about their website. Uh, and it's totally, uh, it, I actually went and played on their website, try to find it. And it's like under youth yeah. ministry. Like yeah. it's not, so it's still it's not there. like it's proudly there, but right. it's there. Uh, if, if you were the youth pastor of this mega church yeah. and you're like, we're, we're trying to train our kids right. to right. go onto their high school campuses and share the good news. Cause and we evangelize. think it's going to evangelize right. and share with their classmates. Uh, and he comes to your office and is like, dude, uh, and is right. kind of angry about it. Well, I'm curious. What would you say to him? Well, I, I would tell him that with the good news of the gospel, there's the, there's also the bad news. And, um, well, I mean, I wouldn't, um, promote this yep. like they did, but you know, there is good news because there's bad news. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're going to, um, want to tell people about Jesus, we can't just say, um, the good news, good news, good news, because what would they want to have to turn from? Which is yeah. the fact that, you know, a life without Christ is a life without the good news. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, do, do we have like fire and brimstone teaching? No, but but there are times I, I, after after you have um, become friends with a student or a group of kids or, you know, that's why, you know, the whole term friendship evangelism mm-hmm. was a big thing back in the 90s. You know, it's still a big thing. Um, I, I don't have too much to say other than that. I yeah. mean, what would you say? Let me read another one of his tweets. He wrote another. I knew there was another one. I'm just searching for it. He said, so my kid goes to school with a ton of youngsters who attend this church. He right. puts a name, but right. just this church. While many of these teens are nice, there's also an unmistakable need effort to convert the masses. Mm. I find nothing more disturbing, he writes, offensive than trying to sell my kid religion. Yeah. I totally see where he's coming from, but yet I also know the call that we have. I really wrestled with this because I think the church is right in training their students and training, hopefully, their adults to go and to share the good news. Right. At the same time, I think a lot of times, especially the bigger the church, uh, we lose sight of the fact that there are people out there who fundamentally disagree with us, right. who this might be offensive to. And I, I wonder if we don't think hard enough about how our message is going to come across, how our methodology is going to come across. I don't I don't read his stuff and go, yeah, kids should not share the God. No, it's good news. Like we've been called to go. Uh, but I wonder if this serves as a good reminder that we really need to think deeply about methodology and think in terms of people who who don't believe this, who yeah. probably aren't going to believe this. We're going to be hostile towards it. And if it would do us some wisdom to slow down and, and give that some thought. So, so when Jesus walked the earth, he loved everyone, but he was also the type of person that would not want someone to be lukewarm, to yeah. use one of our words. And you know, he would say, you know, you want to follow me? Well, then sell everything and follow me. Yeah. Or yeah. I need to go bury my dead. No, let let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that I don't want to ever be a stumbling block to keep people from yep. um, knowing God. Jesus should be the only stumbling block. So when I was a youth pastor, I would tell kids, you know, you don't want to be the type of person that is loving your friends, but being okay with them. Yeah. Not making a decision. Hmm. And yeah. so, but I, I don't know that the whole big website announcement that this is what we do. I right. think you can do it, but in the same time, you need to be loving first. So for me, the real danger, the takeaway, and we've, Ian and I've talked a lot about this is that the way him and I were trained to do evangelism, it's like target practice. Yeah. 
you're not becoming friends. You're you're targeting that person yeah. for a purpose. Sure. It's, that's your project. Yeah. And I I hear that in the undertones here. And I think that's something I've really wrestled with in my own life going, OK, no, no, I'm called to love people and share the gospel. But like not right out of the gate, like let's build yeah. relationship. Let's yeah. do this. So I'd love to hear more for what people think out there, because I do believe that we want to train our students and our adults to go into their places where they live, work and play, live as everyday missionaries. What does that look like? How do we better do that? Because I don't think the answer is, oh, gosh, we should just be quiet. Uh, but maybe giving some thought to how it comes across to people who aren't churched and who may not agree uh, would be helpful as well. We'd love to hear your feedback at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also text us at 68683. Well, coming up next, Scott is going to stay with us for uh, one more segment. That's coming up next here on the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I don't know how not to just do this with a deep voice and really slowly with that music coming on. Welcome to The Common Good. Hope for your life. AM 1160. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. I like that music, man. That's not bad. It works. It wasn't Modest Mouse, but it works. (laughs) It does kind of... Uh, it, it does kind of set the mood there. It that did. was good. That was good. Is there a slow jam station in Chicago? Oh, we did talk about doing this yeah, with uh, getting your your uh, keyboard in here sometimes. Slow jams. Oh, we love jams. I see. Uh, anyway, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online at eleven sixty hope dot com. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And we just found out. I was just told. Uh, that you can do it at Spotify, right. iTunes. Yeah. There's, there's so many places you can find us that it is almost irresponsible not to do it. Yeah, it is. So the Common Good Radio Show. Ian, that is not Ian that you hear. Ian Simpkins, uh, who normally uh, does this show with me every day, he is out of town today. And so I am joined by Scott Murray for one more segment here. Scott is uh, the associate pastor at uh, the... Uh, church that I lead at at Four mm-hmm. Corners Community Church. So yeah. he's been on a staff a whole six weeks by now. So yep. I said, ah, it's going well enough. Let's go try some radio together. Yeah, so it's, it's thanks working. for doing this, man. It's been fun. I, I love it. Yeah, this is a good time. Scott's wife is an is a uh, uh, a committed listener. Yeah, so she is. maybe not after this one. She listens at one and a half speed. Is she does she really? She does. That is fascinating. Ian and I talk about that all the time. I don't know how she people does. People tell us we we heard from somebody recently who does it at two two x. Oh man! Like that must be that earlier segment where we did or like that earlier earlier in this segment where we were just talking real slow. I could see it there, but man, that's crazy. So one and a half speed. All right, she can absorb a lot of information so fast. As we've been uh, talking here over the last hour, if those of you who haven't been with us, Scott is has been a pastor for how many years now in various capacities? Oh, like 20-ish yep. years, 16, uh, 20. Done youth like ministry, done young adult ministry at our church. You're basically the jack of all trades, the mm-hmm. associate pastor leading some worship yep. uh, and other things. Uh, and so I kind of want to take it off of your church experience, yeah. whether it be at Four Corners or at your past churches. And, and one of the things we try to do here on the show is look at American Christianity and really particularly evangelicalism um, more broadly. Right. And we, we, we try to talk about the things that we're excited about, the things that we see as a struggle. So uh, I guess let's start positively. Um as you look at the landscape of evangelicalism, of Christianity, 
uh, of what's coming in the future. Uh, what are some things that you're that give you hope that you're excited by? What are some of the things that you see as positive? Yeah, I, I would say that that a number of churches are becoming more loving to more people, mm. which is good um, without without losing the principles yeah. um, of what Jesus would want us to do. Um, and so the the door is open for more people to come and investigate what this faith is about. Mm. Um, I, I also see a less um, excitement for the big mm-hmm. production. And where people are um, looking for um, life connection in, in small groups or life groups, yeah. whatever you want to call them. So I, I see that people are trying to make church uh, more part of their life. But I think more importantly, m- making their faith a more part of their life, not just something yeah. they do on the weekends. Yeah. You know, why do you think there is a move away from the big production? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean I, that will always exist, but yeah. I, I think I sense the same thing as you. What's the pull away? Yeah. Well, in, in our neck of the woods here yeah. in, in Illinois, there there's been many um, large mm-hmm. churches lately yeah. that have, yeah. that have not been um, positive yeah. and a lot of negativity has come. So I think people are looking at that going, why did we like that? Well, maybe we should try something new and try something a little more intimate. Mm. And I, I think that that is an excitement um, for what we're doing at, at four corners. People want to get to know one another. Like there is a real family, family feel mm-hmm. at the church mm-hmm. that, I now work at. Yeah. People and, desire. We always say people desire to know others and to be known. Right. And uh, I think that's increasingly true. You know, one of the things that I'm excited about, about the landscape, and this is going to sound really weird. Stay with me here, people. I'm, I'm staying. Uh, I'm excited um, that our culture is less kind of nominal Christian. That it's yeah. uh, to use biblical language that we are to be lights in the darkness, that the darkness is more pronounced. And some of you might be out there going, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I I think the reason I say that is because I think the church is really going to have some opportunities going forward here in the coming generations uh, to look really different uh, to where the culture is really angry. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hopefully we grow to be less angry Yeah, where the culture is really divided. We become more unified Right, where the uh, culture serves less. Maybe we serve more Right, where there is less good news. We've got some really good news to offer. Sure. And uh, where families are fracturing other things, maybe, you know, and so I'm hoping that in the midst of, what I think a lot of churches would say is is a lessening of of cultural Christianity. I think I see that as a positive thing. Yeah, you agree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the polls would say that seventy five percent of America is Christian. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 aren't, mm. and I I think those that that do have an authentic faith in Christ, um, I think that they will they will be set apart more just like what we see in the Bible. You know, God calls us to be set apart. Mm -hmm. Are we even, are we going to be called to be set apart from other people that would say that they're Christians? Yeah. I don't think that we're facing, I'm not one of these people who thinks we're facing mass persecution or martyrdom or whatever. But if you look through the history of the church, it is when the church is persecuted that the gospel most flourishes. And we're not being persecuted. We're not, but I think, uh, that doesn't mean that we're not facing some greater pressures. Sure. Then I think that's what's coming. So it, I don't think it's either we're being persecuted or we're not. I think we could say, you know what? Things are going to get a little more difficult uh, yeah. for those of us who want to live out our faith in our culture. And, but I actually think that's a good thing. I think that that is an opportunity, whereas most of us, most people kind of speak of that uh, as as a um, a real detriment. Maybe what's one thing that concerns you 
um, be as specific or not specific as you want to be. With persecution? No, no. Uh, when you look at the American church landscape, Christianity, the American uh, evangelicalism yeah. landscape. Um, that going to church and owning a Bible is enough. Uh, explain. Well, it's not. You know, um, how, how many people do we have in our churches today that show up just because their mother or father told them to go one time and now they're bringing their kids because mm. they think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the problem with that? Well, they're not saved. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, we, we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. God knows he's yeah. the only one he's to judge. The Holy spirit is the mm-hmm. only judge that we know, but um, I'm afraid that people will think that just showing up is enough. Yeah. And, and you know, God will say one day, you know, I never knew you. Mm. Mm. Which then becomes on us as churches and on us pastors. Because my first thought is like, I want them showing up, yeah, uh, but not allowing people to sit in that uh, and yeah. and helping people understand what's this all about. Yeah, and and, uh, and and that's why we need to have our our messages and our talks or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them centered around the gospel, mm-hmm. where there's mm-hmm. good and bad news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, man, we did it. Uh, I didn't get fired by having you in here. You didn't lose your job at the church. We don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but man, I'd really do appreciate it. This has been Scott Murray. Uh, again, he is on staff with me at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You can find out more about our church uh, at www.fccc.church. And we'd love to have you join us if you're looking for a church. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Let's do it again. Let's do it again sometime. Well, again, you're listening to The Common Good. Uh, My name is Brian Fromm. Coming up next, we're going to tackle some of the issues of the day, some of the topics. That's what we're going to do here next on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Normally alongside Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not here with us today. Uh, So I am flying solo for the second hour of the show here. We are grateful to have Scott Murray uh, join us in hour number one, but uh, I am going to be by myself. Uh, our producer, John, he'll jump in every now and then if he sees me just drowning out here. So you know, get, uh, I could see you through these windows if you, and you're just like, come on, man, help if, me out. If you see me, throw me that life raft or whatever. Throw it so to what's me. What's your so. favorite song, Brian? Exactly. Help me quickly now. Exactly. Uh, John, uh, tell me a joke. Here we go. <laughs> So anyway, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Lots of good conversation going on there uh, about uh, some deeper topics, also some funny stuff. Ian posted a picture yesterday that as a kind of a description of what often prayer life is like. And it has been shared at this point like 40 or 45 times, which is just crazy to me. Uh, and so you'll want to see that. So go ahead and follow us at Facebook at the common good radio show. Find old shows online at 1160 hope.com. You can get podcasts, uh, at, 
Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. And uh, uh, we thank you for those of you that do listen uh, via the podcast. And you could always text us for the time being at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG, uh, followed by your comment. Well, uh, I wanted to start with just... (laughs) I don't mean to be dark on this on this beautiful uh, Thursday afternoon. The sun is shining. It's nice out. The rain has gone away. But man, I watched the Today Show today, and I left uh, after the first segment just uh, heavy and sad, and uh, a couple different reasons. And the first one's a little smaller, uh, but they started the show about uh, President Trump's rally. Uh, I believe was it in North Carolina last night? It was somewhere. Uh, down south and at some point in the rally uh he there there was uh he was talking about uh the somali-born congresswoman from minnesota representative ilhan omar and uh he's really been going at it with them we talked about this the other day with that squad kind of the gang of four and uh been going out it back and forth and uh it had that feel of like a bit of a mob mentality as the whole place started uh, started chanting, send her back, send her back. Uh, I think we might even have a little bit of that play right here. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. And whatever you think about uh, President Trump or Omar or any of these people, it was just it was a really sad and difficult display to watch. It was hard. There was one clip going around where they they focused in on just a kid, a, a, like a 10 year old girl who was there or so. And it was just it was sad. Uh, and even to the point that today, uh, whether you believe him or not, President Trump has disavowed what happened there last night. He said, I was not happy with it. I disagree with that. I didn't say that they did. And you can make your uh, own ideas about what you think about that. But as I watched that, it just it just made me sad, friends. It just made me going, who are we? When did this become our dialogue? Even this has nothing to do with policy or anything. Well, just when did this become our dialogue? Uh, but then it got a whole lot more serious with uh, the next story out of Japan. Uh, and it was of a man bursting into a famous animation production studio in Kyoto, Japan, and setting it on fire. Uh, and originally it said it killed 13 people. Then it went up to 23. I believe you said now the number's 33. It's up in the 30s. Up in the 30s. There, yeah. And it was just, oh my gosh, you read this and you see this and you're like, this is unbelievably uh, tragic. It said on the third floor, there were there were 10 people found. People were trying to get out. They're still searching in the building. Uh, it says the suspect was injured and taken to a hospital for treatment. They're investigating the man who is 41 and not even a couple a company employee on suspicion of arson. It says a witness who saw the suspect being approached by police uh, told the network that the man admitting spreading gasoline and setting a fire with a lighter. Uh, she told public television that the man had burns on his arms and legs and that he was angrily complaining that something on his uh, of his had been stolen. Uh, it said footage also showed sharp knives police had collected from the scene. And so, man, and John, I don't know how you feel about this, but every now and then there are stories and I just feel like they happen more and more and more often. 
I, friends, I'm sorry for putting this way. I feel like humanity is going to hell. Like, I feel like we are just, it is getting darker and darker and darker, whether it's just attitude or whether it's literally the things people are willing to do. Because every day it's like there's another shooting, there's this, there's that. And something could be said about that we just see these more often now, now that we just have a more connected world. But I found myself with these stories and some others just, I don't know how you feel about it, man, just feeling really heavy. It's I can't help but feel cynical and like mm-hmm. I, the, I remember the the last time that I really had this heart wrenching anger towards humanity was the <laughs> Las Vegas yeah. incident by the couple years ago in October. Uh, it, but I, I feel like I see it more and more often that I'm just numb to it. And I look at it, I'm like, oh, here, here we go again. That's yep. as, that's as yep. engaged in this as I get. Yep. And and you see it all over TV yeah. and, and there'll be something else tomorrow and something else the next day. Uh, but I guess where I want to turn it is this, because we are hope for your life. I want to go a little yeah. hope driven here and, and say, as followers of Jesus, if you are out there and you're a follower of Jesus, which I'm sure most of you who listen to us are, uh, we actually can't allow ourselves to get just completely overwhelmed and leave it there. But we are reminded in the midst of, of the darkness that we have hope. And so in that first story I shared about that rally, like we need to, uh, even president Trump is saying that I don't think this was appropriate. We need to be people who stand up and say, no, there's gotta be a civility and a love your neighbor and a, uh, around all of these debates, uh, and all of these policy issues. We've got to get back as Christians to looking at the world through gospel lenses. But then when it comes to these horrible stories like this one out of Japan, or like you said, the shooting in Las Vegas a, a month, uh, years ago, uh, school shootings, whatever else it might be, uh, it would be easy for us just to just to, we do need to have sorrow. We do need to feel that. Uh, but then we've got to point uh, ourselves and others to the hope of the gospel that says, you know what? In the end, uh, sin and brokenness, death and destruction, these things don't win. They just don't win. And, and that is the good news of the gospel that we've got the already not yet that we live here in the midst of it. Uh but but we also can go into that darkness and go, listen, it doesn't take away the pain of losing a loved one in a fire or the ugliness of what was chanted at this rally or whatever else. But what we are able to do is instead uh, offer the hope of the gospel and just say, you know what? Uh, Jesus in the end wins. And, and man, I don't know if I don't know if that sounds flippant or if that brings actual hope, but that's really all that we've got to hang on to. Well, it's our responsibility as Christians because this, yeah. all this stuff just confirms the condition of humanity yeah. that we cannot and we we should not do it without Jesus. Yeah. We can't. And he he declares that so many times that the, 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 the nature of man is evil and without God, without Jesus's saving grace. Yeah. It's going to stay that way, and it's our responsibility to exemplify that as much as possible and make it a part of our nature. That's awesome, and I, I guess I would encourage everybody out there, when you're watching the news and it feels just completely overwhelming, whatever it is, whatever it is that's kind of like that that touch button for you that kind of, kind of makes you feel that, uh, allow yourself to feel that, but understand that that is not the ultimate reality and that, that, that allow that to point you to the good news of Jesus Christ, that the book of that Paul writes to the Corinthians that uh, where oh death is your victory, where oh death is your sting. And he kind of says that in a taunting way. And he says, 
that, that we have victory over sin and death because of Jesus Christ. And we can hold on to that, not just hold on to that, proclaim it. So Preach. Uh, I just wanted to share that today and say, I felt overwhelmed watching the Today Show this morning. And the question is, what do we do with that overwhelmedness? Is that a word? The overwhelmness? Uh, and I would say this, eventually allow it to point you back to the good news and the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, well, speaking of the good news of the hope that we have in Christ, I'm going to talk about Christian chicken and Chick-fil-A. How's that sound for a, a right you turn? Speaking my language, Coming man. up next, we're going to talk about Chick-fil-A and some interesting things uh, that have come out about them. That's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, usually alongside Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not here today. Ian is uh, out with his family today, I believe, uh, uh, just doing some family stuff, so uh, he'll be back with us soon, Uh, but I'm flying solo here in the second hour. My name is Brian Fromm, and uh, I'm excited to have you with us here on this Thursday afternoon, although... Uh, apparently tomorrow and even into the weekend, we're talking, we're talking triple digits, my man. That is, uh, that is, uh, that, that does not excite me. Uh, the heat index. Yeah. The if heat that's index. any consolation, that's kind of like saying wind chill, just the other end. So yeah. we're either living in a box full of dry ice <laughs> or a bonfire. There There's go. no middle ground here. There's no common ground here. That, well, well played. That other voice you hear is John. He is our producer. And uh, he is he is both running the board and going to play the role of uh, giving me someone to talk to here. Yes, it, can get, uh, yes. it can get lonely being in this box right here without Ian. So at least there's a window. There you go. We can see each other. Uh, so we're uh, happy about that. So uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcasts. Wherever it is, you get podcasts. So it could be uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. We're everywhere. So go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you that do that. Well, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, I am going to say that I love Chick-fil-A. Obviously not having grown up. I did not grow up in the South, so I did not grow up around Chick-fil-A. But now that it's kind of made its way around, I think their chicken, I'm not breaking any news here, is outstanding. Uh, but an interesting story came out in the USA Today about a week ago, or earlier this week, and it says this, Chick-fil-A isn't open on Sundays. We all know that. If you've ever tried to go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and you've had that, oh, that gut-wrenching disappointment of going, uh-oh, oh, it's Sunday, they're not there. Uh, it says Chick-fil-A isn't open on Sundays. It's missing out on more than $1 billion in sales. Let me read this, some of this article for you. You can now have Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwiches delivered right to your front door. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, made the decision uh, when he started the fast food company in 1946 that it would not, though, still be open on Sundays. He believed that the first day of the week should be for employees to have one day to rest and worship if they choose. The decision, based on deeply held principles is even more extraordinary given what Chick-fil-A gives up financially. Chick-fil-A had revenue of more than $10 billion in 2018, according to the company's corporate financials. That figure came from the operation of 2,400 restaurants in 47 states and Washington, D.C. It was the 51st consecutive year of top-line growth, which means that the company is a rare one as it grew through several recessions, particularly the Great Recession of a decade ago. 
Although McDonald's does not disclose traffic by day, there is evidence that the weekends are particularly busy, which means that it may post 15% of its sales on Sunday. If Chick-fil-A has a similar traffic pattern, Sundays could bring in sales of at least $1.2 billion. It is a sum that management not only has given up, but has done so with a sense of purpose that almost certainly will not change. Chick-fil-A remains family-owned. Dan Cathy is is board chairman and chief executive officer. Donald M. Cathy is executive vice president. At the lead of the company's statement of who we are, management says, it's not about being closed. It's about how we use that time. Chick-fil-A has several hurdles to opening a franchise. However, one benefit of ownership is that the company is among the fast food operators that have healthy food options. Uh, While $1.2 billion in revenue is a great deal to give up, Chick-fil-A's approach to which days a business should be open is not going to change anytime soon. And employees are happy with management, at least according to outside research. Glassdoor listed it as one of the 100 best places to work in 2017, and it has been named one of the country's best fast food operators. And so this is fascinating to me. And again, Ian and I had a debate a couple, probably a month ago about is Chick-fil-A growing so fast because it has unbelievable chicken and good chicken or because of their stances that they're taking. And I went on the chicken side. Ian went on the uh, the more principled side. Um, but this concept of living by their principles and giving up one point two billion dollars or, you know, give or take a couple million, probably um, is a really big deal. And so I'm curious, John, just what do you think about the fact that Chick-fil-A has said, you know what? We don't care how much money we're talking about. We're going to stay closed on Sunday. I love that. I think it's sticking to your guns in this capitalist driven culture. I mean, it's it's be all end all yep. sort of here is the, the the American dream is to live through that, live through that, you know, go to college or whatever, or make a lot of money, have mm-hmm. a good idea and then make as much money as you can. doesn't matter how you do it, but they, despite that, they live by their principles. Yeah. And I, there was another big one, big story about Super Bowl Sunday at a, the Chick-fil-A was, I think a main vendor in, in Atlanta, Atlanta. Yep, Atlanta yep. and they weren't open on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. When there were you know, 100,000 people there and they're like, what are you doing? Can you just escape your your principles just for one day I know, for football? I know. Come on. And they didn't. So the cynical side of me wonders if Chick-fil-A was not making money, would they open up? Um, would they go? But I don't think so. I think they've proven that uh, they're more family owned and they're like, you know what? We are going to stick to our guns. And I guess I want to make the turn here away from chicken, although now I am starving. Uh, and I would ask this question, uh, what's the takeaway for us? And I would say this, um, Ian often does a good job here talking about the, 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 um, the practice of Sabbath and the practice of uh, disconnecting and the practice of rest. And so the biblical principle of Sabbath uh, is not, um, you know, Jesus says man was made, uh, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like Jesus kind of does away with the law of it. Uh, and so often we'll be like, no, we don't have to do the Sabbath anymore. When in reality, Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is a gift given to, to people by God to say, you know what, just as God rested in creation, you too need to regularly rest 
disconnect and also reconnect or connect with God and connect with the things that give you life, whether it be your family or it could just be exercise, whatever, disconnect from work. And here's here's the thing that I have found from people, myself included, is that we as a culture are so connected. We are so unbelievably connected. I can be checking my work email, my church email while talking to you on the radio right now because I have a phone, I have a laptop, I have all of these things. We are so connected that it really requires you to make a great effort to be disconnected. And the question before us, I believe, is would you do you see the value in disconnection, in Sabbath, in um, in connecting to God, in disconnecting from work, if it would lose you money and if it would come at a cost, do you value it that high? And, and one of the things that we've said before is when it comes to Sabbath is you will either uh, buy into the concept of Sabbath or Sabbath will be forced upon you <laughs> because your health uh, will deteriorate. But, man, we do not do a good job as a culture of of disconnecting, of resting, of rejuvenating, of devoting time to worship, long amounts of time. Uh, and I do believe this lack of disconnection uh, has a, a bad effect on our families, our faith, but also just our health. And so I think even, even this story with Chick-fil-A makes me go, man, they've counted the cost and said, this is worth it for our employees. I wonder how many of us have counted the cost and said, yes, the biblical concept of Sabbath is still something I need to make a priority in my life. I wonder what you think about that, man. You're 25. You're just getting into this. Everyone tells you run, run, run. I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah. I think Chick-fil-A is putting their money where their mouth is literally. Like they <laughs> say, hey, we preach that we value what Jesus values. And he says the, the the love of money is the root of all evil. And if, if money was the motive to be open on Sunday, mm-hmm. they would literally be negating everything that they stand for. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we're going to make a billion dollar sacrifice because money doesn't matter to us as much as, you know, withholding or upholding, I should say, uh, our principles to give our employees and ourselves the right to worship, yep. and to meditate, and to be okay with being bored, mm. or be okay with not, you know, raising money for your company. It just, it's, it's a different animal yeah. compared to everything else. It's sort yeah. of the outlier of the business, and I like that everyone's talking about it. I actually think Chick-fil-A, uh, this is all another topic, but I'll bet you that they would say uh, this is one of the reasons that they're successful. Right. This is one of the reasons that they are making money, and that I would love to and hear people's to feedback. Not. <laughs> I would love to hear feedback about that. Like, are they successful because they make a great chicken sandwich? Are they successful because they live by some different principles or maybe a little bit of both? You yes, can yes, tell us yes. that. Yeah, yeah. You could tell us more at Facebook at the common good radio show. That is the common good radio show. Well, coming up next, I want to talk about uh, just what I found to be a crazy story out of the sports world from over this past weekend uh, that man, I've really been, it, it is encouraging it is sad it is inspirational and it does leave some questions that i'm I'm excited to uh talk about with you that's coming up next here on the common good am 1160 hope for your life welcome back to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life i am my name is brian Fromm, flying solo today as ian simpkins is out today uh you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. 
Uh, you can find our podcast in many different places. You can get it at uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. I don't know anymore, but wherever it is you get your podcast, uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we, we love to have feedback. You can do it at the text line, 68683, uh, or you can always do it at Facebook and uh, lots of good conversation going on there. Well, uh, it's been a fun show so far today. And uh, I wanted to end today before we get into our craziness segment. uh, I wanted to end today with a story uh, from over the weekend that I just find kind of crazy. And so I want to tell you the story. Uh, It's from the sports world. And it's one of those stories that makes you wonder, is there more going on out there than than what we can see? Is there more going on? And and I'd love for you to follow along with me and just ask yourself that question because it's got kind of, it begins with tragedy. It's got kind of a Disney movie feel to it. And speaking of Disney, it's the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, and the tragedy is that a 27-year-old pitcher, one of the starting pitchers of the Angels by the name of Tyler Skaggs, uh, two weeks ago, uh, was found dead in his hotel room. They were getting ready to play the Texas Rangers. They were in Texas. Uh, he just didn't show up and they went to his hotel room and they found him at the age of 27, uh, that he had, uh, that he had passed away. And so, uh, really struggling really hard for the team. They canceled the game and, uh, the all-star break happened and then they were able to, uh, they played their first home game. And so it was full of emotion. Tyler Skaggs' mom threw out the first pitch right down the middle. Unbelievable. Uh, first inning, they score seven runs. Mike Trout, the superstar center fielder, uh, hits a home run in the first inning, seven runs. And then what made this so, so unbelievable is that uh, two pitchers for the uh, for the Angels in their first game back after at home after Tyler Skaggs died through a no hitter and no hitters don't they they might happen once a year twice a year my favorite team the Mets uh, they've been playing since 1962 they have one no hitter in the history of their franchise uh, the San Diego Padres I believe have been playing since 62 or 69 no no hitters in the history of their franchise and so all these people are going man they did this on the day that they were honoring this pitcher tyler skaggs and there were some other really crazy things like uh they scored seven runs uh and 13 total runs for the game and he was born on july 13th weird weird stuff uh like that and it happened on 7 13 Oh, is that the day yeah, it happened? The yeah, there happened you go. On his, there you go. I mean, like the, that's why I think that's why they made it that day, the day, Tyler Skaggs Day. It's just so it's just crazy. It's just crazy. So I want to read some of this article from Yahoo.com because it was beautifully written by uh, a columnist by the name of Tim Brown. He writes, "There wouldn't seem to be much room for the baseball anymore. Not for a while. Not like it was. Not when the friends you played with, who lived the same life and dreamed the same dreams and replayed the same games, was gone." How fair it would be to wonder about the game when it is exposed in the worst way as a game. Just a game. Something to do between the hard questions and the anger and the tears. In the end, always it was something shared with him. And now he is a picture on a wall and a shrine of old baseball caps and an untethered ache in their souls. And how fair it would be to wonder where that leaves the game. 
The answer comes slowly and builds in a silent crowd, in a grieving mom strike one, in a head cast skyward so to hold the tears, and finally, finally in the assurance that this is okay, that the incomprehensible might live alongside the extraordinary. For on a Friday night in mid-July, hours after they tried again to say goodbye to 27-year-old Tyler Skaggs, when the crowd at Angel Stadium had risen to its feet and hollered for the best of them, for the best of the game, the Los Angeles Angels no-hit the Seattle Mariners. You can't make this stuff up, Mike Trout said. He was definitely looking down on us. He's probably up there saying, we're nasty. What an unbelievable game to be a part of. It was pretty, pretty crazy. They all wore number 45s on their back, his skags across their shoulders after their jersey that hung still in his locker. When they'd finished celebrating the 11th no-hitter in team history, uh, they took off their jerseys and one or two at a time laid them on the mound. They needed to be part of this from... Uh, his mom's ceremonial first pitch uh, to the pitcher's last pitch from their pregame tears to their postgame howls. There's another young man in the center field fence, another ghostly photo of a young man captured as he was in mid-delivery, never to throw that pitch, never to look back, never to grow old, grievously familiar with that place on that wall. They bowed their heads for another 45 seconds. They said goodbye again in case he'd missed the first million times they said it. Uh, The Angels coped with another calendar page, managed another day toward they knew not what, and held tight to the family of Tyler Skaggs, his mom, his wife, all those brothers, new and worn by blood and otherwise themselves included. They bowed their heads for another 45 seconds. They said goodbye again in case uh, he'd missed the earlier ones. He smiled sweetly at her. Uh, This is the the Tyler's best friend who caught the ceremonial pitch from his mom. Uh, He smiled sweetly at her from behind the plate, then nodded as if to say, all right, bring it. And she threw it right down the middle. Uh, We go we go later in this. So a memorial rises at the entrance of the stadium, another memorial on the bricks where they put the flowers and caps and knickknacks, along with the messages written in the practiced penmanship of children. So Trout homers on the first pitch he gets and he scans the crowd and looks up at Skaggs's family. They honored a young man in that place on the wall in this ballpark whom they hoped to raise, whom they'd seen arrive, whom they'd watched grow. He'd been their friend, is their friend, is their brother by blood and otherwise. It's why they play. Why, when it's just a game, it's still plenty enough. The manager said, I think baseball teaches you that when you think you know the game, it'll remind you you don't know anything. And so you can find that article at yahoo.com. Uh, I was struck and I wanted to do before we get into the craziness uh, of how we always end our show. I just thought it it appropriate to talk about this, that in the midst of grief and you know what, friends, it's a baseball game. Like he's not coming back in the end. This is actually about a 27 year old who leaves behind a widow and heartbroken parents. But on this one night, like something really special happened at angel stadium that uh, that was Man, I don't know. And this is where I'll ask you to jump in, John. Like, it was magical to the sense of, like, eerie. Like, is there more at play here? This kind of stuff has happened, especially in baseball. And baseball players are notoriously superstitious. They're notoriously reliant on omens and curses. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's that's their bread and butter. And I think God, and we've talked about this before, like, love languages and how we respond to spirituality and the supernatural realm in general. But if it didn't, I don't think it mattered that night. No. Who was a believer? <laughs> I don't think it mattered uh, who had done which team. God was moving and knew the love languages and how people respond. So you thought there was more at play there, that it wasn't oh, just well, coincidental? 
I don't really even believe in coincidences okay. so much in the world as I, I know God's always moving and he does what he wants. He has a plan yep. on how things yep. work. And if people found God through that and found comfort and closure and in sort of this uh, revelation, so to speak, yep. in that, then so be it. Mm. So be it. And and I think it's cool that we're talking about this in the midst of all this madness and craziness like we started the hour with, yeah. that there is... A, a, a glimmer of hope there is there even in the even baseball yeah. america's pastime that there is something there that's beyond it's like we need james, we need james earl jones here from from a uh, field of dreams baseball, baseball. Uh, but i would say uh, regardless of what you believe about what happened on that field it was it was like a it was uh it was a disney movie script and again don't overhear me like it, in the end it was a baseball game this is the tragedy didn't end because they threw a no hitter uh, but in that moment, to watch that mom, uh, I, w- I just cried watching it. To watch her wa- throw that ball uh, from the mound where her son is supposed to be pitching and throw it with such... Uh, she threw it right over the plate. It was unbelievable to watch them homer and then throw a no-hitter. It really, uh, it really was inspiring. I'll leave it at that. Uh, it was inspiring to watch. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it made you it was just a reminder uh, that there is even a light in the midst of grief and uh, and, and that there is good uh, that that can come out. And so, again, we pray for his family. And ultimately, this is about a family that lost someone much too young. Uh, but I do find this story inspirational. And uh, hopefully you did uh, as well. Uh, well, we're going to end this show the way we always do. Uh, in the mind of our executive producer, Keith Conrad, who has found crazy stories from the Internet. Uh, we do. I have not seen these yet, so we are just going to read these sight unseen. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the Internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Ian Simpkins is out today. Uh, we get to the end of the show and we do it the same way every di- every time that we're together. Uh, and that is uh, our executive producer, Keith Conrad, finds crazy stories from the Internet. Uh, and he puts them on, in on, on uh, our desk, sight unseen, face down, and we read them. And uh, if you think they're funny, it's all Keith. If you think they're inappropriate, totally Keith. Uh, and uh, we enjoy this. like to end the show with some laughs. So here we go. I get to read them all today. Tennessee. A bear scales scales Tennessee residents' balcony to steal, to steal a snack. A Tennessee resident enjoying a snack on their balcony captured video of the moment a bear climbed up the side of the house to join them. The resident said that they were eating on the balcony of the Gatlinburg home when they heard a noise from below. They said they started filming when they discovered the noise was a bear looking up at them. She looked up at me and snorted, probably smelled my snack, and then started to climb the pole to the upper deck. Very quickly, out of panic, I ran into the house and closed the door behind me. When I turned around, the bear was up on the deck where I had been standing. It happened so quickly that I was basically speechless. Hey, boo-boo, let's see what we got in this picnic basket. I thought that one was coming. I'm getting it's, good at... It's his go-to. I'm getting good at uh, guessing these. All right, second one, Nebraska. A woman attacks local Spider-Man statue as a hate crime against Christianity after mistaking it for Satan. <laughs> A resident of Lincoln, Nebraska this week publicly slammed her city for committing a purported hate crime against Christianity because she mistook a statue of Spider-Man located at a local zoo for a statue of Satan. 
The Lincoln Journal Star reports that an offended Christian woman wrote an email to Mayor uh, Baird demanding that he remove a statue depicting Spider-Man's hand spinning a web as she believed the statue depicted evil devil horns. It's a sculpture of two open hands open, painted red and black, and formed into devil horns, she said. It's a hate crime against the church. The statue is on display as part of the Serving Hands Lincoln Public Art Project, in which several different sculptors depicting different sets of hands uh, at the zoo. Uh, one city worker sent the woman a response in which she explained that there was nothing diabolical about the sculpture, which was solely intended to depict a beloved Marvel superhero. The sculpture is most definitely not a devil-related sculpture, Matt Schulte, the director of nonprofit Campus Life Organization, said in sponsoring the art project. It clearly has a very playful, childlike intent. Could it be Satan? Now, I was gonna, I was gonna chime two. in and ask, like, why would they have a statue of Spider-Man in the city center? But I'm glad they explained it because that was that was my main question. I am two for two in my mind. I go, this is gonna definitely be Dana Carvey, no <laughs> doubt. Next one's out of Germany. A woman tries to buy car with cash she printed at home. <laughs> A German woman walked into a car dealership on Friday ready to buy, but instead ended up riding in a police car after she was arrested when the dealership quickly noticed that her wad of cash was counterfeit. But uncovering the woman's plan did not take much detective work. Local police said on Monday that the 50 and 100 euro notes had been printed out on an ordinary inkjet printer using ordinary printer paper. Uh, Although professional counterfeiters use highly sophisticated equipment, uh, she had no special knowledge here. And the 50 euro note is the most counterfeited. uh, But she was not successful. You're either incredibly smart or incredibly stupid. (laughs) Bet you didn't guess that one. I did not. Turkey. I'm not sure we've ever done one out of Turkey. Disruptive passenger uh, faces a hundred and seven thousand dollar bill. A woman who allegedly caused a flight to be diverted to due to her extremely disruptive behavior has been given a bill of one hundred and seven thousand dollars by the airline. A 25 year old woman from Maidenhead in Berkshire was arrested on suspicion of common assault, criminal damage, damage and endangering an aircraft. She has been billed one hundred and seven thousand dollars and given a lifetime ban. The woman attempted to open the aircraft doors during flight and displayed a catalog of aggressive, abusive, and dangerous behavior before being restrained and arrested. Sad anymore. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> Last one, Missouri. Bud Light offering free beer to any alien that makes it out of Area 51. Yeah. Uh, Bud Light's parent company is teasing it'll give a free beer to any alien released during the Area 51 raid and even create a special edition can. Monday, the company took to Twitter stating they, they weren't supporting those who planned to raid Area 51. However, on Wednesday, they changed its tune. Free Bud Light to any alien that makes it out. I love this country. Bud Light also has, has a special uh, neon green and black can called the Area 51 Special Edition. Greetings, Earthlings. This is the famous Area 51. It says, we know of no space beer. And so that we're giving you Bud Light. The bottom of the beer included the phrase, we come in peace. One Twitter user then asked the company if the can was real, to which they responded 51,000 retweets 
and will make it happen. The U.S. Air Force, by the way, has made aware of the potential impending raid, which is believed to have started as a joke and is discouraging anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American armed forces. That's what I call a close encounter. <laughs> yes, not wise people. Don't don't raid Area 51, regardless of what you think. I wouldn't be surprised, but seriously, don't. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> do it. Well, another good day here on a Thursday. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm. You have been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.